Okay, so you know I love good wordplay. And Third Love is crushing their wordplay here. When you have a bra that pinches or slips or just isn't comfortable at all or is comfortable but isn't your style, you've got problems. <laughs> How excited was Third Love when they thought of problems? Well done, Third Love. I see you. When you wear Third Love bras, you've got no problems. They fix the problem of size exclusivity with their famous half-cup sizes that revolutionized the industry by giving more options to find a bra that fits. And they fixed the problem of guessing what bra will fit you with their virtual fitting room and other helpful guides. A bra size chart, a bra 101 education section that's basically an FAQ for all your burning questions, and a ton of great reviews from real people. My sister just texted me, 99 problems, but pinching <laughs> isn't one. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby, and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this, there is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddler's in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth and you won't have to worry about tearing. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. And through the joy and pain that are sister. So if that welcome sounded a little bit dramatic and dready, it's because we are going to talk about something pretty serious today. Um, and that topic, I actually haven't even spoken directly to sister about any of this. Abby and I, you, we have been in light conversation about this situation for the last couple weeks at least. But what we're going to talk about today is something serious and kind of sad, um, but really important and hard. And that's what we do here is we talk about things that are important, mm -hmm. even when they're hard or especially when they're hard. So what we're going to do is talk about the fact that over the holidays, I had an eating disorder relapse. And that sounds way too simple for what happened and has been happening, but I have only have words to describe things, so I, I can only use words. So that is um, what happened over the holidays. Um, and so today I'm going to talk about it here with um, all of you. And I'm going to just try to use words, which is all I have to describe what I've been going through for the last bit of time. Well, before you get into it, tell us how you're feeling right now. I feel a little bit, um, I feel nervous to represent things accurately. I feel a big responsibility to speak about something that so many people suffer from. I feel scared because whenever anyone Anyone, I don't, I don't think it's just in the public, anyone speaks about what the world would consider a failure. It feels like you're making yourself vulnerable to people discounting you. Mm. So <clears throat> I feel that that's a risk, but I also feel like 
a little bit grounded in a way I never feel as grounded on this podcast because I, this is, I know how to do this. I know how to like tell the real truth um, of things, even in scary ways. That's how I've survived. I feel like I, I know what I'm doing, but I also know that it's risky. Yeah. Well, it feels like you're just opening yourself up, which I just find so freaking beautiful. Um, and it's just, I can't. How do you feel? You're nervous. You've been nervous. You've asked me a million times. Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> well, you're, you know, it's, you're twiddling I'm, your thumbs I in a way you never do. You, and I also, I think you're perfect. And I know that we are all imperfect. I truly do. And yet I still want to make sure that you understand that like, no matter what, like we are ride or die. And this is why, like, this is a reason why I love you, mm-hmm. not something to not love about you. And I think that <sighs> I just, I find you to be, this isn't courage or bravery. Like this is just like, this is exactly what I feel like I was made for mm. such a time as this. And mm. you are well, doing great. And it's, you know, what you said this morning when we were just leaving the bathroom to come down here to do this. <laughs> and you asked me one more time, are you sure that you want to do this? And I said, the, well, one of the reasons is because it, of my unshakable belief, whether this is true or not, <laughs> That I'm not about to explain to everybody why I'm fucked up. Like, I really, truly believe that we all have these weird, swirly, dark, maybe spark, whatever this weird, wild self inside. And that, um, and that one of my jobs, gifts, whatever, is to just really talk about that. But I feel like there's part of what I'm revealing that is true about all of us, regardless of how it manifests in my life. And this part feels dramatic. Like it feels dramatic to say because it, you know, the whole word word relapse is dramatic. But if something is true, it's true all the way through. And if we say we we want to show up with our mess and that we're still worthy of love, it's true whether we're talking about our house is a mess or we're talking about where our insides are a mess or we're talking about, you know, it, it's got to be true all the way through. It doesn't make anything about who you've become less valid. It actually proves that you truly believe in what you say, <laughs> that you're mm-hmm. willing to show up like this. So. I do. I had this feeling this morning of, this is going to sound so weird. This isn't the right word, but pride, or I feel like I have been hiding again, this like part of myself. Um, and I don't feel ashamed of the, I, I don't feel ashamed of this weird side of myself. Mm-hmm. But I've been, because of the hiding, I have been acting like I do. So in talking about it, I feel like this part of myself is like a friend and I'm like standing up for her right now, Mm. (laughs) as weird as that sounds. I'm like, no, 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 you can speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're allowed to show up at the table. Like we're not hiding you when the people come visit. (laughs) That's right. Mm. That's right. Because this part of you that makes your life so hard sometimes is, is also the part that in a swirly different way that people celebrate this weirdness that shows up in different ways. So we don't get to just love her when she's shiny and whatever, like we love ourselves even when we're hurting, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe more importantly then. Mm. Right. So that's what we're doing today. And, um, Buckle up, folks. The why is, (laughs) the why we're doing it is for all of the reasons we just talked about. Um, It's not, 
it's interesting because my friend Nadia Boltzweber says we don't write from our wounds, our open wounds. We write from our scars, meaning we wait, right, until pain has turned into wisdom because otherwise things just seem like a cry for help instead of an act of service or a piece of art. Um, and I think that all rules, you have to learn them and know them and, and get them in your bones so that you know when to break them. And you also have to have enough, I guess, um, success at recovery and humaning behind you so that when you're in the middle of the opened wound, you still you still have a, a grounding beneath you. Like, I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm someone who's been to rock bottom a few times in terms of alcoholism, in terms of mental illness, in terms of all of it, eating disorder stuff. And I kind of, although I feel very scared because when you're in the middle of it, you kind of forget that you're going to get out. I can look back on my life and know that I will because of, because I have, because I trust myself. Um, so I am speaking from an opened wound, but also one that I've seen scar over so many times that I trust the process enough to speak right now. I'm also with my wife and my sister. I'm with my two people that I trust most in the world. And I'm speaking to this pod squad that I really do trust. I feel safe here in a way I don't feel on social media or whatever. Also, I've have been thinking for the last few days about how mental illness is discussed in the world. And it just always feels like it's being discussed by someone who has it all figured out mm-hmm. or who is talking about it, but not from it. Wow. Which I don't know. There's something weird about it. And, and I get it because when someone is in the middle of a low or when someone who struggles with mental illness you know, I used to use the metaphor of being swallowed by the whale. Like when you're in the whale, you can't really speak clearly. So how are people going to speak from it? Mm-hmm. But it still makes you feel all the time like like people are talking at you that don't even understand it. Like it's always like, here's your 10 steps on mental. But, it, but it's not, you're not hearing from somebody in it, which is how you feel less alone. And I, it's like before or after, but not the middle. Like you never hear from the middle. So I think there's something important to speaking in the middle if it's possible. Um, and then the how I'm going to do it is I am going to say whatever I want to say for the next hour. So I'm just going to tell the story of the last month or so with words that are match as closely as possible the experience. I'm not going to worry about sounding crazy or triggering people. What I need you to do, loves, is if eating disorder talk, mental illness talk, all of this sort of traumatic talk is triggering to you, please skip this. Okay? Because I'm not going to worry about it starting in a minute. (laughs) Okay? So I need you to take care of yourself so that I don't have to take care of you for the next hour. Okay. Um, so does that sound okay? Sounds wonderful. I mean. How are you doing, Sissy? Do you fine. feel nervy? I mean, I feel, I feel so many things. I feel um, curious. I feel sad. I feel proud of you. I feel like unhelpful. I feel... <laughs> That, you know, it's wild because I first learned about this when right after we left from the holiday break and we had just been together for two weeks and I felt a little like, oh man, she was going through all of this and I was right there with her, but I was not right there with her at all. And um, so... And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you for doing this and I'm, um, want to support you for the next hour and then all the hours after that. (laughs) 
I-X-L. Remember those three letters the next time your child asks you for help on homework. IXL Learning is an online learning community for kids that covers core subjects like math, science, and social studies in a helpful, feedback-driven way. So the fact that we cannot help our children with our homework now, which I actually cannot and stop being able to help them with after fourth grade, has been solved. IXL Learning's advanced algorithm is backed by research and in studies done in nearly every state across the country, those who use IXL are consistently performing better in school. Plus, their subscription covers pre-K to 12th grade, and that wide range of ages and subjects is one of the many reasons why IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and We Can Do Hard Things listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash can. Visit IXL.com slash we can if you cannot help your child with their homework anymore. And there, get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Well, what? Okay, so looking back, I I feel like, and and you please tell me because I'm not always good at when I'm in something, I can't always remember what I was like before in any way, but I do know that I remember at the beginning of COVID, um, which was a strange time for everybody. And for us, it was strange in the way that Untamed was like blowing up and I had 70,000 interviews a day and all of that. I do remember spending a lot of time talking about having untamed myself in many, many ways in terms of um, sexuality and our family and marriage and gender stuff even. Um, and, And talking a lot about how frustrated I was that I still have not broken free from compulsive thinking about body and food. Mm -hmm. Right. So the reason I say that is because when I try to trace back this relapse and I say, oh, it was two weeks ago or a month ago. I'm like, well, okay, we can trace the like getting weird, as we call it, like the the slow fade into this. I remember feeling compulsive thoughts come back right around a couple of years ago because um, we would talk about it too, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that if you want to know like the, the logistics of it, it's like you were preparing. So like, lest we forget, you were about to go on a nationwide book tour. Okay. So it was before then. And so it was before COVID hit. And oftentimes before you go on the book tour, there's a huge to do, you know, like your whole team has planned an entire, for a whole year, this book tour, mm-hmm. you have a whole situation of clothes and so you're gonna be on stage and you are about to go talk about this 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 art that you've just created it's now gonna go out into the world so when we talk about getting weird or getting weird again I just want to to talk about all of the context Mm -hmm. that was and is a part of those times when you start getting like we talk weird but like you start to obsess I think a little bit about your body. Yeah, there's a there's an element of okay, things are about to be so out of control and I'm going to be so vulnerable because people are going to be staring at me and I'm going to be on stages and I'm going to be talking about the pouring my heart out. There's a feeling of how can I what can I do to make myself invulnerable? Mm-hmm. And I think that comes with a lot of like in my compulsive twisted thinking while I can make myself a like robot in terms of body face all of that like I can make myself completely unjuicy unhuman inhuman Mm -hmm. um because the way that a woman looks in the world is a vulnerability all the time because anybody can say shit about whatever and so when you're about to go out into the world and say things that are controversial in themselves and you know people are going to have a whole shit ton to say about what you're saying and who you are if you can control one part of it. Yeah. They can't say this. They can't say I'm whatever. So 
controlling your physicality. That's interesting. Yeah, that's true. And that you were true. also about to, un, you know, to deliver your this love story. Mm-hmm. So everything that was in the book, I don't know. I, I just think it's really important in terms of the context of it all. Like you are literally turning your insides out and letting people read mm-hmm. your insides. Yeah. And when I and you when I look back on pictures of then I was really fucking skinny. Like it was something when I look back on those pictures. So interesting. Okay. So then that happens and then the tour gets canceled and then we're home and then the pandemic happens, right? Yep. So you are right. I was probably already in yep. those that way of thinking. For a few months before the pandemic. Started. Yeah. And also I would say for anybody, you know, there's an anxiety controlling, like if you're, if you have some anxiety going into a big thing, working out, sweating, working out, like all of those things are anxiety. You you feel like it's going to take the edge off. You just exhaust yourself. You exhaust the anxiety out. So I was probably working out too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what I know is that at some point, the the thinking, the overthinking about food and body just felt like it was getting more and more intense. The next marker I remember is the scale came back. I must have found a scale somewhere I in our it. garage. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why it was even still in our house. But, but that's just like a marker for, you know, the scale came into our bathroom. Over months and months, I just you know, it was like, I was, I'll just weigh myself once a, once a month. Then it was once a week. Then it was once a day. Then it was, you know, most recently it was like eight times a day. Like every time I went into the bathroom, just like, I, <laughs> to give you context, I, at the one point I remember being like, I'll just do this without my headband on. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll just weigh myself without my headband. Yeah. Like that kind of level of obsession. I just want to remind you that, that at the time too, we were trying to do things to make, keep ourselves busy during the pandemic. So yeah. I hired a trainer to come and train us on the driveway. Yeah. And so this is what I thought, because at the time we were having kind of open conversations about like, you know, I'm starting to obsess, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. like, OK, I think that what we should do then is we should work out so that you. Your body is strong so that you know that your body is strong. But I think that that was like gas on the, the fire. fire. Maybe. Yeah. And I knew that. I mean, I looked at that lady one day and was like, I'm never coming back to this driveway. Like, I don't like this. This isn't the right vibe for me and didn't come back. So, but that's what happens. You try all these things, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that I did actually throw up a couple of times or maybe two or three times over those months. And then the, the two weeks. Did Abby know about that? No. Okay. No. You did tell me. I did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You told me that you were getting weird and like there was just a couple of ice cream incidents. Milkshake. I did? Mm-hmm. Wow. Good for me. <laughs> well, okay. So um, that and then right at Christmas. This Christmas? This Christmas. Okay. Yeah. The... The, fa- the whole family was here. And I think that, you know, we have had some family stuff come up over the last year um, that has been mostly good in terms of like talking about things that our family hasn't talked about, um, bringing up some old stuff, dynamics in our family that probably for sure originally contributed to an environment that would have been allowed this an eating disorder to flourish. Right. Right. So that stuff has been brought up, but I don't know, you know, people who are listening when you're dealing with stuff with your family of origin, it's like brought up and that's an amazing, ridiculously brave step that most people don't do at all Mm -hmm. is bring up dynamics that may have been harmful in one way or another, especially in a family so full of love and so full of goodness. It's hard to bring up the stuff that wasn't good enough. Um, But then there's this period where it's not, nothing's taken care of really. It's just like, 
this weird time, this weird in between where the thing, the elephant in the room has been pointed out, but like, it's still there. No resolution. (laughs) No one ever talks about that part of the elephant in the room. You're like, but now we just got a fucking elephant in the room. Like, that's how it feels. Not that helpful. It's not like, well, it, it should be, it should be like, excusing the elephant from the room, but it's not. Yes. It's just calling out the elephant in the room, but it's still trampling over all your shit. I mean, you know, shout out to all the family therapists. Is there, because I feel like that's a part you've missed. <laughs> yeah. How do you resolve like, the problem you've just pointed there's out? There's no elephant removal crew. <laughs> so then there's the like, you know, the canaries in the coal mine or the whatever, the families who have the elephant pointer outer. But then when you point it out, then you just feel like a jackass because then everybody's like, well, thanks a lot. Yeah. You pointed out the elephant, but now we're all staring at an elephant. So Mm -hmm. way to go, you know? So anyway, the context is that the Christmas happens and all of this is to lead up to the last week of Christmas, the last week of 2021. Is that what it just was? Mm-hmm. Um, I was throwing up every night, right? So New Year's Day, you guys leave, sister, you and John leave it on New Year's Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you and the kids and John left New Year's Day. Our friends, our dear friends, Katie and Cam, mm-hmm texted us like a few hours after you left and we're like, we're in, we're in your town. Can we come say hi? And like, literally if there was anyone else, we would have pretended that we couldn't find our phones because we were like de-stressing mm-hmm. and like getting the quiet house back, but it was Katie and Cam. So we were like, get over here. And so I had this moment because at this point I'm still just keeping this all to myself. Mm-hmm. And that's a tricky place for me because I think I kind of know I'm keeping a secret from myself. And that that's how, that's the my definition of my own sobriety. It's when I'm, a break in sobriety is when I am keeping a secret even from myself. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. But that's even tricky for me because so much of my life, you know, since I was 10 years old was kind of, was, was this life of like eating and throwing up and and whatever. And so it kind of just feels like life to me. I can very much switch back into like, oh, this is just what life is. This is how I can, some people go for walks. <laughs> some people go to a therapist. It's a well-trod well path for you. It's yes. familiar, yeah. It's familiar, yeah. Um, but so Katie and Cam sat down and everybody, I think somebody said, well, what are your intentions for 2021? You know, they're lesbians, we're lesbians. This is, you don't, we, you, there's no small talk. We get right into like right. our deepest, <laughs> right. And it's 2022, and so, incidentally. It, it, there's exa- no demarcation, but intentions for 2022 is what you intended, right? Is that what I said? Okay, you said right, 2021. Right. But it's the groundhog it year, so it's fine. Exactly. And so Abby said something and awesome and Cam said something and- they all looked at me and I had no, I had nothingness. I I had nothing to say there. I could not think of one true thing mm-hmm. to come out of my mouth. And so I kind of panicked and just said something about work, which is I never, mm-hmm. ever, if anybody asked me about like, what is my work is not, what I go to, mm-hmm. but I had, and, and so I don't know how to explain why that was such a red flag to me other than, oh, I'm lying to myself. I, I, I have nowhere true to start. That blankness, that nothingness, that looking at three people on my couch who I trust, you know, 10, top 10 people in my life, the three of them were on that couch and I had nothing. I had no there there anymore. Like, it was, it's the opposite of the there she is moment. It was like, where'd she go? Like, where am I? I have no, I've, I have, a, I have lies blocking any truth. Anything that I could, could say is bullshit because the truest thing I know is I'm fucked again. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm not saying that. Why am I not saying that? Mm-hmm. So since the truest thing I know is that I'm scared because I'm like back in this scary place, then why am I not saying that? I'm not saying that because I am deliberately hiding and that means I'm fucked. Not the fact that I'm throwing up again or whatever. It's the fact that I'm sitting here with these three people that I love and know and trust and I'm not saying to them what my thing is. Mm -hmm. I get that completely because it's the verification. It's like we live so much in this conflict within ourselves of like, what is true? What is not true? What is the inside of me? What is the outside of me? There's never any black and white in like what I'm, mm-hmm. what is a lie between what I'm presenting to the world and what is my internal reality. It's a, such a gray swamp of, of what is real and what isn't. But, but then when you know what is in those rare, rare moments like that, where you know what is true and you know what's most important and you know what is clear but you're not saying it, that is the explosion where you're like, oh, it, it, we're in the deep now. <laughs> yes. This is yes. Yeah. I remember being on the couch looking at you like, wow. Really? She couldn't come up with a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if you said, you were like, I, I don't know. I don't, uh, I, you, you just. I couldn't do, I could not conjure up anything. Yeah, I, that, that has never happened before. Right. You know, we're, we talk, we talk a lot mm-hmm. when you gone. talk. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. You're gone because you weren't bringing you. That's why you were gone. Yes. It's not that you couldn't access it. It's because you, you weren't ready to bring it forward. Yes. That is why at the beginning of this, when I was saying there was a level of like pride, isn't the right word, but maybe it's relief that mm-hmm. I'm talking today is like, yeah. It's the opposite of that moment on the couch. Like, yeah. I don't care. Fine. Say I'm crazy. Say I failed. Say I'm relapsed. Say I'm whatever. But don't, but I, I'm still here. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoever that I is, is still here and is going to speak. With the 2024 games in Paris on the horizon. I've gotten nostalgic about my international career, and when I look back, there are a few things I would have done differently to make sure I made the most of my time abroad. And one of those things was to learn a non-English language more fully. A daunting task, yes, but a much easier one when you consider that Rosetta Stone can get you fast language acquisition through their intuitive research-based dynamic immersion approach. That's why they're the most trusted language learning program and have been for years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Whether it's Dutch, Arabic, or Chinese, don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, We Can Do Hard Things listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off Visit rosettastone.com slash we can. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash we can today. So Katie and Cam left. Mm -hmm. I didn't say anything for the rest of the day. And then, I don't know if you remember this, and I'm not going to use any names, but the next morning, you had a friend call you who was in their second day of sobriety. And the truth is that I sat there, you were on like speakerphone or something, and I sat there listening to a very early in sobriety person say all the very early in sobriety stuff with all the like hubris of early sobriety and all the like beauty and like things you can hear them say that they're going to crash and burn about. And like the, I don't know, I actually found myself feeling a little bit judgy and annoyed Mm -hmm. by myself doing the dishes, listening, Mm -hmm. like 
listening to this beautiful human who has just reached out to Abby, who is in their second day of sobriety and feeling judgy and ugh, like jaded, jaded. Mm -hmm. And they hung up and I put one more glass in the dishwasher and was like, I'm fucked. I think I said, I think those are my words, babe, I'm fucked. You actually said, I was going to wait until, because the kids were still with us. They were going oh, back right, to Craig, right, right. Craig's house that afternoon. You said, I was going to wait until the kids went to Craig's, but I'm fucked. <laughs> I was like, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you just told me. Yeah. Yeah. And then I told you, and then you were completely amazing. I was. Yes. Oh. Because you were undramatic. You were unshocked. You were soft and loving and huggy. And there was no flick of terror. There was no, you're not who you said you were in your face. It was just like, a, of course. And now we will get through this. So you were amazing. And then we told, had told the kids we were going to go for a hike that day. Yeah. So here is where I try to explain this thing <laughs> about <laughs> food and body and eating disorders and mental health and mental illness. So I have always felt like, you know, what, there's all these science words and there's depression and there's anxiety and there's eating disorders and there's mental illness and all this thing. But like the way it manifests inside of me at times is like there is this black hole or like a canyon of murkiness that is, exists inside of me and I could jump in. Okay. But like my job is to stay on the land side <laughs> of this manhole or canyon of swirly dark energy. But there is something seductive about the canyon. It's not all terror and, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's like a little bit purple and swirly and sparkly too. So it's like like Vegas. It, it it's not like Vegas at all. <laughs> just okay, but, Vegas. but Vegas may well be Abby's canyon. So let's yes. just <laughs> let's That's just it. table that for a second. That's another episode, Abby. That's okay. Right. That's right. It's like the opposite because Vegas is all like lights and man-made and bullshit. This is like spiritual in a weird way. Okay. Mm. I don't know. It's not, it's it's that's it's, the seductive part. Maybe. It might be the internal. Um, tendency to glorify this thing. Yeah. Right. I was going to say your story about it is right. that it is uh, spiritual. Right. Whether okay. that may be true, it may yeah. not be true, but in your story, when you look at the canyon, it is it seductive because it is a, maybe a higher or deeper reality than the actual tangible reality of the shore. It could be, yes, that, but also it's because it is so hard to, and it requires so much work to stay on the land. Yes. It's not it's being the land is part of its seduction. Exactly. It represents not having to work so damn hard, like mm -hmm. a succumbing. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to say is that when eating food, body stuff is my way of getting closer to the canyon. It has nothing fucking to do with eating and food. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's like my friends who are cutters or my friends who all, all of the different things, those are their ways of inching closer to the canyon. It has nothing fucking to do with the eating. So when I get weird about eating and food, and it's like, oh, we'll get a personal trainer. Or it's like, well, let's talk about nutrition. It's like the equivalent of saying, okay, I have once again set myself on fire. 
and someone saying, well, what we can do to explore that is let's just sit down and talk about pyrotechnics. Yeah. Do you, yeah. have you taken a fire prevention fire safety course? class? Yeah. Like it's like <laughs> n- mm-hmm. not, no, that's elementary. It's like, no, baby. no, no. Yeah. Like uh, we're to, uh, we want to know like why cosmically am I an arsonist? Yeah. <laughs> not like how fire works. Right. Okay. I'm talking about the, the canyon of the, of, of sorely dark. I'm not talking about freaking nutrition. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we have to go hiking and I actually decide we're going to do that. Like we are, there's no point in, we're going to continue what could be better than going on an easy hike with the family and staying in the light and being outside and all the things. I wasn't so sure. I think that you had to convince me that that was, that was going to be okay. Yes. Yeah. It's like, um, so we scared. go and we're just going to this like place that's 25 minutes away or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the car ride there, it was just so interesting because first of all, I was in a bit of trauma because I had just told you, I had just, it's like to take yourself out of the secret place to where someone can see it in the light. It's like, there's no turning back. Now mm-hmm. it's real. It doesn't always feel like it's real when it's inside of you, even though it's happening and you can see yourself throwing up. It's mm-hmm. like, it could still be not real. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a bit of trauma. I think the best way that I can describe this part is that this is when I really feel crazy, whatever that means. So I, we're driving there. I notice that my breathing is so shallow. I can't take a deep breath. I'm sitting there in the passenger seat. Abby's driving. The kids are in the back. I think we had the dogs with us. It was just like utter chaos, like everybody, happy chaos. Um, and I can't catch a breath. And I realize it's like, I'm being as still as humanly possible and not breathing deeply. And it's so interesting because it is the same um, way of being that you would be if you were hiding because there was like a killer in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So you're like trying not to be found. It's like being paralyzed, being not <clears throat> being able to breathe because there's a stalker. And then you're thinking hard about why you're behaving that way. And then you realize, oh, no, no. The stalker for you, honey, has always been inside of you. Mm. Like the call call is is coming from from inside the house. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So this is what I'm thinking about. And then I realize, I look around and and I think everyone's listening to like Taylor Swift or something. Like the, the cognitive dissonance between what's going on inside of me and what's going on outside of me is so, it's like all light and happiness on the outside and the inside is like this swirly thing. And I realize that I am holding so tightly to my arm that like, I mean, for sure I'm bruising myself. I'm holding so tight. You do have a grip. Like that's just like a general state. Koala bear grip. Like sometimes we'll just be holding hands, watching TV. And I have to actually like move my hand. Like, cause she's, she's now completed and gotten the grip into a vice grip and yes. my my circulation is being cut off. Like you have a tendency to just do it. Would you say that not sometimes, but every time? Every time. Every time. Every yeah. time we're holding hands, you have to. I have to like kind of wiggle yeah. and you have to say sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. You don't have to, but that's I have a do. question yes, about that cognitive you. dissonance. So you for the week prior, when you were actively purging, you did not feel that cognitive dissonance because and only after you had told Abby you had that cognitive dissonance because theoretically you could have had that the whole time that you were knew this was happening and the world was just unfolding around you obliviously. But it's only after you told Abby that you had that. Um, I just I think it's phases. Mm-hmm. I think it's like it's real now. It's real now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No turning back. No turning back. No take Um, backs. No take backs. No take backs. We're here. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I realized that I'm holding myself so tight. And I remember looking around and they were all dancing. They were dancing and singing. And and I'm looking at their hands and their hands are all flailing around. And my thought was, it is so beautiful how much they trust gravity. (laughs) And then I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, what? 
why don't you try? Like I'm holding on in the car. Like I am holding so tightly so that I do not fly away. And these fools are just, it is as if gravity is real to them. They do not even have to hold themselves down or in or together. Yeah. I'm just telling you what my thoughts were at that time. Right now, sitting here on this couch, I understand how batshit crazy that sounds. But in the moment, I was like, wow, look at this magic trick they're all doing. They're all just so loose. So we get to this hike. We're walking. It's really, really beautiful. And we're in Palos Verdes, okay? <clears throat> and it, we're on going around this cliff. And we come across- Oh, my God. This staircase. Okay. Do you remember? I, I now understand what you're. Do you understand say. now what was happening to me mm-hmm. during that time? Do you remember how I stopped at that staircase mm-hmm. and stared for so long and mm-hmm. then walked down it, which I never do. I'm like the least adventurous person in the no, world. I was so, I was like, is she nervous? Cause Chase had walked down there. I was like, is she nervous that Chase is going to fall? Like, why is she going down there? That's so weird. No, the second I get out of the car to go to a hike, all I'm thinking is like how, long will it be till we get back in this car? Mm-hmm. Like if I don't trust gravity in the car, I'm sure as hell not going to trust it on a cliff. <laughs> it's all very precarious. So we're on this cliff overlooking the ocean and there's this staircase and it's wild. It's the longest staircase in the world. It goes from the top of this cliff and it's cut Not really, but it looks like it. Right, it looks like it. And it like somehow goes all the way down to the water, but you can only see the top half of it. You can't Mm. see the bottom half of it. So, and then halfway down, the whole top of the staircase is in the light. You can see it. And then there's this platform, this like bigger part of the staircase. And then that's all you can see. So I was like, okay, I have to first I have to walk down and get down to that platform. So I walk down the staircase and there's that platform and then the the staircase turns and then the rest is just all down to the ocean and it's all dark. It's out of the sun. So that's when I walk back up to the top so I can see the whole thing, right? And I realize that platform, which I had to Google because I could not freaking think of what that was actually called in a staircase. It's called the landing. I was going to say <laughs> <Okay>. a landing. <laughs> landing. <clears throat> the landing is where I was that uh, day. Yes, I feel that. Yes, yes, yes. The landing is where I still am today. Yes. Weeks later. Okay. But here's what I'm saying. The landing is where you stand and you can go either way. Mm-hmm. You can, you look down and the down is so seductive because it's easier and it looks like it'll take less effort and it's in the dark. You can get lost in it. Nobody can see you. You can... Just keep descending one step at a time. Or you turn and you look up at that motherfucking staircase again. Right? Just like one step at a time. And you think about your freaking poor little legs who have done this so many times. And you think about like the sun that's so freaking bright and like everyone can see your struggle and it just looks so steep. And so for a minute, you just stay on the landing. And so that's where I am right now. I am on the landing and I only know, which I'm really delighted about, that I'm not going down. Mm. I'm not. How do you know that? Because I know myself and I know what I know about myself is that once I get to the landing, I will not go further. I trust myself completely to not descend 
further when I know where I am. I trust my weary little legs. I trust the light. Um, so I trust the climb. When I, you were throwing up, were you below the landing in the darkness or on the landing? I feel confused. Walking down, right? I don't know. I mean, I think this is where metaphor kind of breaks down a bit, babe. I don't know exactly where I was well, fucking I just on the like, staircase. Uh, no, listen, I just want to know because this is as a as a partner. This yeah. is important knowledge. Like, I mean, the landing is day zero. Like the landing is when you look at yourself <clears throat> and there are no lies between you and you anymore. Got it. Right. The land doesn't feel like a staircase until the landing. It feels like a free fall of nothingness. It doesn't feel you're not you're not deliberately stepping down and down and down. It only feels like the staircase. That staircase wouldn't have made any sense to me the day before. I see. You have to be on the landing to recognize Mm -hmm. the landing. It's like an acknowledgement of acknowledging it actually forms this staircase. Yeah. It's like a forming of it. That's really interesting. I mean. A landing is a platform that allows you to change directions mm. or allows a climber to rest. Mm. So there's a graciousness of the landing too. There's enough space to rest, right? To like gather your strength up for the climb again. Um, wow. Yeah. So that's where I am now. I'm on the landing. And what that means to me in in practical terms is that there will be a next, there will be a climb, there will be, it will probably include therapy and all kinds of different things. Um, But I will say that I have a confidence about me this time. Like I really do. I think the climb will be different. It will feel different. But um, I'm 45 years old and I know myself and I trust myself. And I also have been through this enough times to have a level of curiosity. Because I think what was annoying me about that conversation you were having with that person in their second day of sobriety was that that person sounded the opposite of jaded. There is an awe, a beginner's mind that returns to you when you realize that we're all on the fucking landing all the time. There is a returning of awe when you start that first step um, that feels a little bit magical, that isn't as present when you're feeling really big and bad about yourself because you're on step 409,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I have a positive anticipation about the magic that will come as the climb begins again. And I'm just being super tender and careful and gentle with myself as I wait on the landing. And that is what I wanted to say today. Single-handedly impacting our environment for the better, that's a daunting task. But it's possible, and there are incredible people who are living proof that setting your mind to something and really being passionate about it will bring about change. The Goldman Environmental Prize is the world's foremost award honoring grassroots environmental activists. Each year, the prize honors six ordinary people who are making an extraordinary impact for the planet. If you look at this year's winners, you'll learn about Marcel Gomez, who exposed the links between a company's meatpacking practices and illegal deforestation, which led to a major boycott of that company's products. Amazing. You'll learn about Andrea Vidalre, whose relentless leadership resulted in California adopting its most ambitious emissions reduction regulations in history. 
And there are more amazing stories to discover. I can't imagine stories more important than these. Find the stories of this year's prize winners at goldmanprize.org. And so with that, I just want to say directly to you, sweet listener, it is true that we can do hard things and we will keep doing them together. See you back here in two days with more love notes from the landing. (laughs) Bye. I give you Tish Melton and Brandy Carlisle. I walked through fire, I came out the other side. I chased desire, I made sure I got what's mine. And I continued to
We Can Do Hard Things is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really liked it. If you didn't, don't worry about it. It's fine.